This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Good afternoon, uh, Brian Callahan in for uh, Linda again today, who um, we remind you is taking a little breather, or at least at least that's what she claims to be doing. So, uh, Linda, you know, when you're on the Teams and Messenger chat, I mean, okay, you can send emails, but that's it. Linda, of course, is the workhorse around here. So when she allegedly takes time off, uh, we encourage her to actually take time off. But we know she just can't help herself. Nature of the biz, really, and uh, nature of uh, most reporters, especially these days of immediacy or immediate news. Not as bad a day out there today, or at least not as bad as yesterday, not as dreary. The fog has lifted, and there was a tease of brightness as I was driving in, but still just as gray as yesterday. Uh, Rumors of sunny breaks tomorrow, though. Fingers crossed. Something else I noticed today too, and uh, uh, on my way to the, um, I was on my way to the Sheridan Hotel, the hotel formerly the Hotel Newfoundland, or still the Hotel Newfoundland, Newfoundland Hotel back in the day, uh, for the folk festival announcement today, which I'll get to shortly in the show. Um, and I was at Supreme Court before that, but on my way to the Sheridan, walked over and couldn't help but notice, of course, the number of people, mostly you know the PSAC uh, strikers there on Duckworth Street. But uh, really kind of uh, a lot more people down by the War Memorial, you know, backpacks and stuff and coffee and everything laid around the memorial. People sitting on it, leaning against it, just killing time or, uh, you know, um, boogieing to the sounds of quiet riot just up the road at the picket line. But uh, is it just me or is it a little... I just kind of took aback a little bit by the fact that it just seemed uh, a lot of the people there were just oblivious to the significance of our War Memorial, you know. Um, you know, the the day was when the skateboarders were at it down there, which is kids out of the way and using it, and they've been kind of uh, hushed away or sh- ushered away at times. But um, but for the strikers and that sort of thing, it just seemed a little odd to me, but that's just me. Uh, this is News Talk, and we take your phone calls. So um, if you have an opinion on that or anything else you're about to hear today or that was in the news just a moment ago with Sarah Strickland, uh, I'll get to the news, the big news of the day, of course, too, that... Uh, the RCMP news conference regarding the homicide in Harbor Grace. Um, so there you go. I used to, well, you know, and still with the strike, of course, I noticed CRA have responded to calls for extensions to the tax filing. A lot of people call it just assuming you know, the waits are so long right now. And if you do do it by phone or need to call for any kind of instruction or information, uh, Uh, CRA has said no to any extensions. Now, of course, there are exceptions to every rule and to the general rule, but as far as extensions due to the strike as a result of it, uh, they're not budging on that. So there you go. I used to procrastinate about my taxes, but um, the last-minute stress really wasn't worth it. So now it's like a Band-Aid. I just rip it off, grin and bear it, do it quick, get it done, and it feels so good. So uh, the numbers to call are the same as open line, really, 273-5211, 709, of course, 273-5211, or 1-866-590-VOCM. Elsewhere in the news today, as I mentioned, the RCMP held a big news conference uh, just a short time ago, around 2 o'clock, um, to say, uh, you know, regarding the homicide in Harbor Grace, this is where, of course, the body of a man was found in a, off a beaten path, actually, in a truck that had been burned out or set on fire. And the headlines out of it so t- today so far are the fact that there are multiple, police believe, multiple suspects in this murder. Um, 
uh, and they've given out some pretty specific um, descriptions of vehicles and that sort of thing, uh, putting the case together here. But they're really appealing to the public more than ever on this one um, because where they believe there are multiple suspects, there are probably multiple people who know those multiple suspects or have some information about what happened here. And the usual, you can call the RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers more likely probably in the anonymous way. But we have um, audio from that news conference, a good Q&A there too with the reporters. Con- uh, Corporal Jolene Garland held that news conference. We are going to take a short break actually and get into that um, because it's a, it's a little lengthy, but it's, uh, it's quite important. I spoke to Corporal Garland yesterday about the details in this and they're really trying to put this together as best they can especially for the grieving family here of 34 year old adam mercer he is the victim uh, that information also came out today i should say so uh, a good timeline they laid out as well and more details and uh, around it and again they uh, they went full board today to give as much information as they could without jeopardizing the investigation because they're really looking for the public's help here especially if you live out that way so we'll take a short break and get back with that audio i'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. Be right back. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Brian Callahan with you this afternoon um, back on News Talk, sitting in for Linda Swain this week. And uh, again, we're going to go back now to uh, top story in our news this afternoon with the RCMP revealing more information about the homicide in Harbor Grace that, um, well, the remains were found on April the 11th. That was a Tuesday. And a week after that, um, following, you know, results of the investigation and, of course, in consultation with the medical chief medical examiner, it was determined to be a homicide. Now They now believe there are multiple suspects uh, who may have been involved here. Um, so just a short time ago, the RCMP and Corporal Jolene Garland um, briefed media and then took questions. I'm going to go right to that now. This is Corporal Jolene Garland with the RCMP. Our investigation began on Tuesday, April 11th of 2023, when human remains were found in an abandoned burned-out vehicle in the area of Glover Road in Harbour Grace. On April 17th, we announced that the death of the, individuals, the individual whose remains were found was, in fact, a homicide. 34-year-old Adam Mercer of Harbour Grace was murdered. And we have information to believe that his murder was carried out by more than one individual. Our officers are working diligently to gather further evidence to support charges for those directly responsible, as well as individuals who we believe are accessories to the murder. An accessory to an offence is defined as an individual who knowingly assists a person in committing a crime. This assistance can occur before or after the crime is committed. Additionally, we believe there are multiple witnesses who are withholding information that could assist investigators. Witnesses include those who may have heard or were engaged in conversations before or after the murder was committed. Anyone having information about the murder of Adam Mercer is urged to act now and contact the RCMP Major Crime Unit at 709-772-5433 or 709-637-4420. 
Aside from witnesses to the crime, police are also looking to speak with those who may have observed anything suspicious leading up to or following the murder. No one piece of information should be considered insignificant, and it should be immediately reported to police. On the afternoon of Easter Sunday, April 9th, Adam Mercer is believed to have been present on the parking lot of Bacaloo Trail Pharmacy in South River, and this was sometime between the hours of 3 to 4 p.m. He was in the company of other individuals. There were multiple vehicles of interest in the area during this time. Police are specifically looking to identify and speak with the drivers of the following vehicles which were seen in the area. A black Ford F-150 pickup, a black Subaru hatchback, and a gray Mazda 3 hatchback. In addition, we are asking for the public's assistance in identifying an individual who was sat in the passenger seat of a black Ford F-150 pickup truck at the Irving gas station in Harbor Grace on April 9th. He was with Adam Mercer at this time. The image, which we will share publicly, was captured at 10.17 a.m. that morning. Last week, we asked motorists who have been traveling in the area of Glover Road to check dash cam footage between noon on Sunday, April 9th, and noon on Tuesday, April 11th. We're continuing to ask motorists to check for that same sort of footage in the same area, but we have now narrowed in on the time frame of footage to be captured between noon on Sunday, April 9th, to noon on Monday, April 10th. We are specifically looking for footage that includes the vehicles I mentioned here today. A black Ford F-150 pickup truck, a black Subaru hatchback, and a gray Mazda 3 hatchback. In summary, RCMPNL's major crime unit is asking the public to specifically report information about the following. Anyone who saw Adam Mercer at the above men- and the above-mentioned vehicles at the Bacaloo Trail Pharmacy in South River or anyone having dash cam or surveillance footage from the area between the hours of 3 to 4 p.m. on April 9th. We're also looking for the identity of the individual who was at the Irving Gas Station in Harbor Grace with Adam Mercer on the morning of April 9th. Dash cam footage, we're also looking for dash cam footage captured in the area of Glover Road between noon on Sunday, April 9th, and noon on Monday, April 10th. That includes any of the above mentioned vehicles. Anyone having information about the murder of Adam Mercer is strongly encouraged to come forward and report this information to the RCMP Major Crime Unit. And I'll repeat the numbers again, 709-772-5433 or 709-637-4420. Residents can expect to see a continued police presence in the Harbor Grace area as the investigation continues. RCMPNL extends its deepest sympathies to the family and the friends of Adam Mercer during this most difficult time. We assure them and the community that our investigators are working diligently to bring those responsible for this heinous crime to justice. I will now open the floor to questions you may have, keeping in mind that while the investigation is actively ongoing, there are some information we will not be able to share at this time. Is it possible to give sort of a timeline of what happened? Uh, this, you mentioned South River, then you mentioned 
Harbor Grace. Can you sort of give us a timeline of when they were in those locations? So we know on the morning of April 9th, uh, he was, Adam Mercer was at the Irving gas station in Harbor Grace. We believe later that same afternoon, between the hours of 3 and 4 p.m., he was at the Bacaloo Trail Pharmacy in South River. And do you know how he would have gone from South River to where it, the body was found? I don't have that information readily available to share. And the people who you're looking for witnesses who would have been in South River, what might they have seen? So they may have specifically seen Adam Mercer. Uh, they may have specifically seen one of those three vehicles that we've identified as vehicles of interest to us. We'd like to identify the drivers of those vehicles and to speak with them. We feel that they have information about this uh, invest that could help us with this investigation. And you mentioned uh, possible accessories for the, for the crime. Um, how would they have uh, helped this crime? So while I can't get into the specifics of how that assistance has that's details that we simply can't speak to at this point, but we do believe there are multiple individuals that carried out this crime and that there was assistance provided, and we also believe further that there are multiple witnesses that have information about this crime and that could be certainly very helpful to the investigation. And do you have any idea why witnesses may not have come forward? I mean, there's always, obviously, when you're dealing with a homicide investigation, there's likely a sense for some people that there may be fear of reporting. Um, and while we certainly understand that, we urge the public to come forward. Um, this is a murder. This is a homicide. We need to solve this, and we do rely on information from the public in, as well as what we already have to help us further this investigation and bring those responsible to justice. Uh, if individuals choose, they can certainly report the crime anonymously through Crime Stoppers. This is a fairly uh, small uh, area, uh, and, and again, you know, you speak to people, everybody knows everybody out there, uh, it seems like. Is that, does, is that helpful or is that a, a challenge when, when, when you're dealing with small towns like this? It can, you know, it's certainly one of those things that can go one of two ways, but it certainly may depend on the type of crime that's being committed on whether or not the willingness for somebody to come forward or not. So lots of times in small communities, we do have a lot of support and a lot of witnesses that come forward to help us in investigations. And sometimes, like you say, it, it could possibly be a hindrance. So we're just encouraging anybody that has any information, even if it's just something small and they don't really feel that it's pertinent, every piece of information is pertinent and should be reported to us immediately. Are these people believed, the people that you're looking for to identify, are these people believed to be from the area? I don't have the information on where our suspects are residing. And you're fairly specific about the type of cars you're looking for. Do you have images? Did you get video or uh, photographs, I guess, from video machines? We were given those descriptions. Those vehicles were seen within the area. That's the information that I can absolutely confirm. Whether we have uh, surveillance or pictures already at hand, the investigators are working on that information I'm not privy to. And you said it's a murder, so was there a weapon used? Uh, right now, we don't have um, those. We won't be releasing the, the details of that information other than to say that the human remains were found in an abandoned, burned-out vehicle. The Office of the Chief Medical Examiner was engaged from the onset and had no issue ruling that this was the death was as a result of homicide. I know you were, appeal you were appealing to the public for or any footage, uh, and, and you were appealing to cabin owners in the area as well. How successful have you been, or how cooperative have people been?
been thus far, and how much have you accumulated uh, so far? Uh, tips have been coming in. Re- information has been received and is certainly continuing to be received. Again, no one little in- bit of information is insignificant to us. If you feel you have any information that could be an assistance to the investigation, please come forward. This was a heinous crime, and those responsible deserve to be brought to justice. Any description of these people? I know there's descriptions of the vehicles. Uh, uh, any, any other further information about these people that you're looking for? Uh, no, I don't have that readily available. Just looking for if we could identify the drivers of those vehicles. Uh, we certainly do want to speak with them in thinking that they have something, um, or thinking that they know something about this crime. Did you want to say anything to people who may be fearful of coming forward? Uh, again, it's a, I know it's a homicide. Yeah. And, uh, anything that you wanted to uh, relate to these people? Just to stress the importance of the crime itself, to stress the importance that this is somebody's loved one, right? This is uh, somebody that was important to someone, and no one deserves this to happen to them. And, uh, you know, none of us would want this to happen to our loved loved one. And if it did, we would certainly expect those that have information would come forward to make sure that, you know, those responsible are are held accountable. I I was just going to note... I'm not sure if it was clearly understood that we have identified suspects. Yes, we do have suspects identified, and we're continuing to work to further the evidence that we have to bring those individuals to charge. I can't say how many at this time, and that's why we're saying that we can say there are multiple people that carried this crime out, and we also believe there are multiple witnesses that have information about this crime and who may have carried it out. There you have it. That's uh, Corporal Jolene Garland with the RCMP, the B Division here, um, speaking with reporters today regarding the homicide in Harbour Grace, which is believed to have occurred somewhere between um, around Tuesday, well, around April the 11th or several days before that, uh, in around that time, around Eastern Sunday, really. Um, and so, there, you know, specific requests there from the RCMP looking for, you know, and I'm just going to go over a couple of them because it, just the tape goes by so fast. So they're looking for, um, you know, a driver of a black F-150, Ford F-150. Now, these vehicles would have been around the Bacaloo Trail Pharmacy in the South River, in South River, uh, around on Eastern Sunday, Sunday afternoon. So, uh, you know, a black Ford F-150, a black Subaru hatchback, and a gray Mazda 3 hatchback. Interesting clarification there at the end of that tape as well that, um, you know, it was mentioned that, you know, let's make clear they do have suspects. They have people who they believe may be uh, responsible for this crime. And as Corporal Jolene Garland mentioned, there are multiple suspects, they believe, at this point. Uh, what they're basing on that, they're basing that on, they're not saying. But, uh, you know, they've been appealing for video dash cam, uh, video surveillance, anything that can help them. And uh, one would imagine they've gleaned some information from that, such as, uh, the information that we have actually published on our website. We have uh, some photos there, current, uh, you know, a, a certainly a better photo of the victim here, 34-year-old Adam Mercer, um, and video surveillance that shows him in a vehicle at that pharmacy uh, a few days, well, on Easter Sunday. Um, and as well, other photos that, uh, you know, show him in the car, and and again, any kind of video that they can get, uh, they're looking for it. So um, that's the latest on that. We'll have more in the news coming up with Sarah Strickland as well and uh, coming up after the break 
We'll take you. Well, I was uh, right after my court session this morning. I dropped down to the Sheraton for the um, announcement this year of the lineup for the Folk Festival. Completely shifting gears here. 47th annual, as the mayor noted this morning. He vividly remembers the first one, so that's how old he is. Uh, but then, you know, I'm not far off. And so uh, that was a nice event this morning down at Sheraton. They unveiled the lineup, uh, the whole schedule for the week. It's going to be in July, uh, early second week of July, July 7th to the 9th at Bannerman Park. It'll be actually, they made note this morning, the second time now since the pandemic that they've been able to, um, that they've actually moved it up a little bit uh, into the second week of July as opposed to closer to August when they used to run back-to-back actually with the... Uh, with the um, regatta here in St. John's. So coming up after the break, we'll go uh, right to uh, take you back to the Sheraton. And um, Amy Bro- Anna Brophy was there, of course, uh, with the uh, Folk Art Society, the mayor, and uh, other dignitaries to unveil the lineup for this year's Folk Festival. So we'll get to that right after the break and the news. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Uh, Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain this afternoon on News Talk. Uh, The 47th edition of the annual Newfoundland Labrador Folk Festival uh, is going ahead this year, July the 7th. Mark the calendars, 7th to the 9th, although there will be sort of stuff before and after, like at the ship on the 6th and then... uh, Back at the ship on the after the after post festival celebrations with a secret lineup, I'm told. But um, that's getting ahead of ourselves. The uh, the launch and the big reveal, not so much the launch, but the big reveal was held today, uh, earlier today down at the um, Sheraton Hotel Newfoundland, and I was able to make some time and drop in. And uh, nice, really nice event they had there in the courtyard uh, this morning. And uh, Folk Art Society president. Anna Brophy was there, of course, and this is her kind of a somber or sentimental outgoing sort of, she's the outgoing president this year, so uh, she had a few words to say, introduced some special guests, but um, let me just pass it over to Anna Brophy, Anna Brophy and uh, uh, her comments on the uh, Folk Festival this year. I'm Anna Brophy, I'm the president of the Newfoundland Labrador Folk Art Society. Um, this press release is a little bit emotional for me. This is my last year on the board. Um, so we're capping out our, I'm capping out my term. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of you for your support over my last uh, six years. So this is our second year of hosting our festival um, earlier than normal. So we moved our festival date to the second weekend in July. Last year we had banger weather, probably what I heard was the best weather in 10 years. So I'm hoping to continue that streak. Um, So I just wanted to say again, uh, Julie did reference this earlier, but honestly we wouldn't be here without all of our volunteers, community organizations, and local business partners. Um, How we succeed is through these uh, partnerships. Um, Particularly of note, um, I would like to call out our government funders, uh, the City of St. John's, Arts NL, uh, Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation and the Department of Canadian Heritage. Um, These organizations really stuck by us during these last few shaky years. As you know, being an arts organization during COVID was awful. (laughs) So we were able to keep people employed, keep doing our programming, and now here we are back back and better than ever. Um, So what you'll notice this year 
in our festival, uh, some great new additions. One thing we're really trying to focus on, and this is something that Equinor has been partner partnering with us on greatly, is bringing more activities for children into the festival. So we'll have a lot more programming, a lot more activities for kids. So we want to get families out, but what we're trying to do is actually build um, the youth in folk arts. Uh, we have to be builders in this area and grow our talent in the folk arts sector. So what I'd like to do is call up um, the Mayor of St. John's, Mayor Danny Breen. Well, thanks very much, Anna, and I, I hate when we start talking about the weather. Just, just so everybody's clear, weather's a federal responsibility, so don't be asking me about... I get blamed for enough stuff without, without having to take on the weather. But it's great to be here today for the 47th Annual Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Festival Reveal. 47 years, you know you're getting old when you remember the first one. But anyway, the Folk Arts Society has been playing a critical role in our province since 1966. City of St. John's is very proud to be home to the Newfoundland Labrador Folk Festival, and it's always a pleasure to welcome the Folk Festival back to Bannerman Park. It always presents some of the finest music, musical talent around, and both on and off the island to entertain residents and our visitors alike. It's one of the key attractions in St. John's every summer, and the city of St. John's is very proud to sponsor it. Would also like to acknowledge Deputy Mayor O'Leary, who I just spotted there on, uh, over in the corner. We provide an annual grant of $16,500 to the Folk Arts Society this year to, to support this great event, and we're proud to say that since 2012, We've contributed nearly $200,000 to our special events and festivals grant program. But I think John Clark and, and, and the other uh, uh, people involved in organizing probably think our greatest contribution is the in-kind that we provide and the support that we provide during the festival. And I, I got to give a shout out to our staff, uh, our electricians and our parks people who do a great job to help the Folk Festival put this off every year. But our partnership with the Folk Arts Society is not just the Folk Festival. We have an ongoing partnership now in this 13th year for our Music at Concert series. Each concert features a youth performer, and we coordinate that with the hard work of the Folk Arts Society's John Clark. John came to us with this idea about 13 years ago, and it's something that's added to our, uh, our summer concert series, something we're very proud of. And we're able to showcase some of our incredible emerging musical talent, like the Salt Beef Junkies who played here today, who started in our, in our concert, summer concert series. And today they're uh, out headlining their own acts and playing at various places. So it's, it's a great way to produce new entertainers and give them the experience to improve their, uh, their talents. The Folk Festival, though, isn't just about music. Through its vendors and booth displays, the festival showcases local talent in many different sectors. Literature, pottery, textiles, visual art, and the list goes on. It's a true Newfoundland and Labrador cultural smorgasbord. A St. John's institution, and I can tell you, it is an event not to be missed by anybody in Newfoundland and Labrador or anybody who's traveling to Newfoundland and Labrador. So congratulations on the 47th annual. It's great to have it back. It's great to be back. 
and uh, and I hope that you're right under weather. Uh, I'm pulling for you. Thank you, Mayor Breen. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to call out the great support we also received from Equinor Canada. Uh, presenting sponsor again for 2023 and beyond is Equinor Canada. Um, so what I would like to do is call up uh, the country manager for Equinor Canada, Tora Loseth. Thank you very much and uh, yeah, a big thank you to Newfoundland and Labrador Folk Art Society for our, to our fellow sponsors and not least to all the volunteers for making this uh, launch happening. Uh, I, you know, I'm a brass instrument player myself, um, and I've been playing in very many different bands since I was a little kid. And I know that uh, I know how much music and art means for us as individuals, but also for you know um, societies uh, at large. And having recently moved to Newfoundland, I really see that you are very proud of your history, uh, your culture. Uh, and your heritage. So we are um, extremely proud to be sponsors uh, for, for, for the festival. And I hear that um, the festival has been sort of the premier event for uh, keeping folk culture alive uh, in the province for the last, you said, 46 years, so this will be the 47th. Um, so yes, again, we, we, we are very proud to be a sponsor. I'm very proud that Equinor is a sponsor, now for the sixth uh, consecutive year. Um, now, through our partnership with the festival and, and um, NL Music, or Music NL, I should say, uh, we, we help youth especially learn about folk music, but also let them showcase their musical um, talents. And uh, actually, I think we welcome one of these incredible youths to the stage uh, today, um, Thompson Russell, accompanied by our father, Kelly Russell. Uh, now, from what I've seen, and we will see, this year's festival looks to be a great one. Uh, and so we just, uh, we hope to see everybody there um, in July. Thank you very much. And that is uh, Tor Loseth with Equinor Canada um, doing the good corporate thing, but also his own personal love of music and his appreciation for the folk arts and, uh, and the festival that's happening this year. Big uh, sponsor, of course, Equinor Canada. Before him, Mayor Danny Breen. And, of course, before Mayor Danny Breen was Anna Brophy, the uh, outgoing um, president, outgoing in both senses of the word, uh, of the Folk Arts Society of Newfoundland and Labrador. So once again, uh, festival set for uh, July the 7th to the 9th. Everything is online, uh, including the full schedule. Starts with uh, Nuit Francophone, uh, or Francophone Night at uh, the Ship Pub. Of course, uh, then Bannerman Park for Friday and uh, Saturday and Sunday. And of course, back to the ship again for Folk Festival Saturday and then again Sunday night. So going to be uh, on wheels around there. Hopefully we get the weather, like they said, from last year, just like last year. be great. Uh, Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk today. Uh, we'll be right back. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Uh, Brian Callahan back with you once again in for Linda Swain on News Talk this week. And joining me now is our legislative reporter, Mr. Richard Duggan. How is it going, sir? 
Very good, Brian. Very good. It was another busy day in the House of Assembly today. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to keep up with um, what the important stuff, but you know, and then not get distracted by the theater, which we all know. Oh, it happens absolutely. from time to yeah. time. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, yeah. It, and it's really hard to get wrapped up in in uh, the theater of it because, especially when when you're in it, and there could be something that's so trivial that necessarily we wouldn't consider for news, but then that gets everybody in the house going, and the place goes up, and yep. then it's like the it's, news cycle. You never know what people are going to latch onto, right? Absolutely. What um, did people? What do you? What's in there today that people will likely latch onto? Yes. So uh, the big bit of new news that came out of the House of Assembly today is around immigration. Immigration Minister Jerry Byrne uh, revealed that uh, Newfoundland and Labrador's immigration uh, numbers for the for their yearly immigration spaces that has been doubled. So uh, last year that was 1,500. That has now increased to just over 3,000 people uh, per year. The spaces have increased, the, or the, the number of people coming. Have, yep, the spaces right. that they can apply for from the federal right government has cool. increased, and that was actually something that uh, Minister Byrne had been asking for for several months now, um, back in. I believe it was October of last year, they had reached their quota for the year, yeah. and they couldn't make any more applications to the federal government, and they had to pause that process um, until January 1st. And then when January 1st hit, they said, all right, here's a bunch more applications. Yeah. And he said, um, we, when we scrum Minister Byrne today, he said that that was actually the, uh, this past January was, I think, one of the largest influx of applications from this province that they had ever had to give to wow. Ottawa. So that's how many people they had coming here. So that's that has been increased now again, uh, just over 3,000 uh, new spaces that they can apply for. So uh, a bit of good news, I think, for... Certainly um, success for the uh, you know the program. Obviously, if they're getting more and more, something's working. Absolutely, yeah. And um, again, there, there's a little bit more to the story as well, because they had said that um, there is a bit more good news in that uh, for the last seven consecutive quarters, Stats Canada... Um, has reported that the population of the province has grown by over 12,000 people um, in that time frame. And they're so directly attributing that or in some fashion mm -hmm, yeah. to the numbers. Yep, yep. So they're direct, yeah, so they're attributing that um, to, the, I guess, the success of their program. So uh, they said the last seven quarters, so that would be right around when... You know, we were starting to come out, I think, yeah. that first wave of the pandemic or so. Um, Four so, quarters in a year, mm, do the math. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> um, and also they're saying that for the first time in uh, 50 years, um, enrollment in our schools is also increasing as well. So uh, some positive news coming out on the immigration front and the population growth front, front today in the House of Assembly. How's the um, opposition dealing with that? I mean, you know, obviously the, the, the suggestion is that how do we bring the criticism has been, you know, how do we continue to, to service these people if we're going to be bringing people in? And the pushback we get is, well, we should be taking care of our own. But, I mean, we know that mm -hmm. both things can happen at the same time. But yeah. are they getting a bit of, uh, like, it's great we keep bringing people in and more people, but can we handle it? Yeah, uh, that has been the main criticism yeah. of this today. And the one of the questions that was asked in the House of Assembly and there couldn't be an answer provided was how many uh, specifically focused on Ukrainian refugees how many Ukrainian refugees have a family doctor right yeah. now that question was asked in the House of Assembly we asked that uh, during the scrum afterwards as well and Minister Byrne deferred to the Association for New Canadians for those numbers um, but the, that's where the pushback they're yeah. getting on this is like okay we're bringing all these people in but can they get access to a family doctor can they get access to housing um, I know that um, Jim Din the leader of the NDP before he had brought up support 
supports for uh, children in the school system because I mean you talk about Ukrainian refugees not only do you have the the language barrier but you're also dealing with children coming from war-torn countries who are dealing with some pretty serious trauma when they come to school every day right so so it's not just a general everyday you know uh, toiletries that they need they need a lot more than that when they're coming here and you know, obviously, it's a federal, federally sponsored program, so we would assume that they're having that support. But it makes people wonder. It's great to have, obviously. I mean, you know, we, there are jobs that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians won't take, but uh, there are also assets and skills that other immigrants bring to this country and this province that just can't be denied either. So. It's a tough one, um, only in the sense of, I mean, obviously a success to be saving people from these horrible atrocities that just doesn't seem to be slowing down any time anymore. It's hard to watch some of those scenes, especially the more in-depth uh, investigative pieces are doing in on the ground in Ukraine and what's still happening over there. So, oh, absolutely. Whatever yeah. we can do to help. Richard Duggan, thanks, man. Is there anything else? Uh, what's on the tap for tomorrow? Yeah, so uh, I will or be back. Back. Uh, back in the House tomorrow. Yes, back in the House of Assembly tomorrow. Um, I lost track of days. So today was Wednesday. Would have been private members' bill, but they didn't have... Did I see a motion that there was no private members' day? They just had the regular 2 o'clock session and question and answer. No, uh, they did have their, their okay. proceedings this morning. Yep, so that, that all went ahead. Uh, okay. Back to regular business tomorrow, so 1.30. Um, and, of course, it'll still be uh, going on with, uh, you know, questions around health care, education. Uh, nothing really on the radar right now. Nothing specific on the radar for tomorrow, but uh, as we saw today, you never know what can come up, right? Yeah, and it's interesting dynamic, too, with the, you know, the Tory leadership sort of ongoing at the same time and watching mm-hmm. them jockey and do their presentations in the House. You know, they're also auditioning for the big job, too. Absolutely. One last thing, too. There was this morning uh, budget estimates went on, mm-hmm. and I believe um, there was some back and forth. Layla Evans had made a pretty impassioned speech about, uh, you know, with regard to the estimates and the money, where it's all being, where it's yes. going. And, of course, she went right to the heart of the issue of uh, of the problem of suicides in Labradorian communities. Absolutely. And we're going to actually play for uh, for the listeners now a little bit of Leela's speech, but um, just for the context of it. So um, this afternoon in the House, um, a point of order was raised about something that uh, Leela Evans had said during uh, estimates this morning, and basically what she had said was that if, referring to government, if you're not impacted by suicide, Mm -hmm. you don't care. That's essentially what she had said, and the point of order was raised, and Brian Moore stood up in the House and said, well, basically his point for standing up was, we do care, and he wanted to get that point across. He didn't ask for Evans to apologize for the comments or retract the comments or anything like that. That was just the point that he wanted to get across there. And, of course, Evans was given the opportunity to respond to that and gave a really impassioned speech um, about the issue of suicide in Labrador. And I can tell you, Brian, um, from watching uh, Evans on on the monitors in the House of Assembly, you could see the emotion on her face. You could hear her voice cracking at times as she was giving that speech. It was really powerful, and I know that we do have some of that teed up now. Yep, I'm going to run it right now, um, and uh, it's it's, uh, emotional stuff. This is Layla Evans in the House of Assembly this afternoon. The Honourable the Member Torn Gat Mountains. Thank you, um, Speaker. And my actually statement this morning on the budget was about the fact in Nunatsivut, Northern Labrador, the Inuit women have a 31.5% higher rate of suicide than on the island. Uh, in the reports that we've seen, 20% higher in Labrador, but on the North Coast, we have, um, we have a significant higher rate of suicide. And what it is, is when you look at uh, all the issues that's been brought forward by the Inuit 
and by the Inu. It is about really what's at the root of suicide for our women. We also have missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Why, why do we have an acronym for that? Why did we have to have a, a, a huge inquiry into the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in Canada? It was because of inequity. Inequity where women actually didn't have access to uh, safe and adequate housing, did not have adequate uh, ability to heat their homes and protect their children and actually feed their children. Uh, food insecurity, uh, uh, housing. The, I, I spoke yet, uh, the earlier what contributes to suicide. The, the national, the federal uh, uh, housing advocate actually came to my district. And you know what she, she said? She order has please. nightmares. Order she has nightmares. So caring is one thing. Caring is one thing. But caring without oxygen, uh, without action without helping. In my district, since I got elected in 2019, there's been very little to do with uh, housing. There's been very little food, food security. This government took off the freight boat from the island, and we look at the prices now. The prices in the stores, people can't afford to feed their children. We look at electricity. We are punished for being remote. We are punished because we rely on diesel. And so what ends up happening is to prevent us from using electric heat in our houses, uh, basically, the the rate goes up to 19 cents a kilowatt hour. I've actually listened to both sides of the house talk about uh, uh, the price of electricity because of Mushrat Falls is going to go up to what? 15, 16 cents a kilowatt hour and everybody was outraged. Oh, how are we going to heat our houses? People are going to be frozen out their homes. We actually cannot heat our houses with electricity in northern Labrador. And you know something? The thing about it is that is not right. And so when I talked to Newfoundland Labrador Housing, they said, oh, well, you know, we want them to use alternate sources such as like Hollywood and, and, and heating their houses with, with stovile uh, furnace oil. But you want to know something? We can't afford the stovile. A senior does not have the ability. I talked this morning. You want to talk about caring. If you care, you have an obligation to help. You are elected to this House of Assembly to help women and gender equality, right? You have. 31.5% higher rate of women in my district of New Nazi with Northern Labrador is committing suicide than in the province. And you know something? They are not secure. We talk about housing, we talk about, we talk about corrections, right? The thing about it is intergenerational trauma is occurring because no one is helping us with our food security. This government did not consult with Nunatsibut or the Inu, especially with Nunatsibut, about taking off that freight boat, which was the infringement of, of, of the land claims agreement. Anything to do with tra tra uh, transportation. But Odi came to the communities after the fact and basically told them how this system was going to run. That's not consultation. You look at the price of gasoline, you want to haul your wood. Women. Women are actually suffering the most from the high cost of fuel. And in actual fact, order. suicide is a huge issue. So if you care, order, please. help me. Order, please. Help me. Do you want to finish up your remarks pertaining to the point of order? I, I can go all day. I can go all day about disenfranchisement. I can go all day about really why, what's at the root of suicide. So I, I do understand that we're all human beings and we do care. But at the end of the day, if you're elected as an MHA to represent your district and the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, you also have to help the most vulnerable. And in my district, we have the most vulnerable. Housing, right? Uh, the, one of the biggest issues is, uh, with housing is mold. 
it is uh, uh, mold is a huge thing because people can't properly uh, um, uh, heat their houses. Uh, a, big, a big, big problem that uh, contributes to children in care is the intergenerational trauma. And a lot of people actually fall into addictions, not because they're susceptible to addictions, but really ministers because the, the, the world that they're born into. The world that they're born into the, in, in this day and age. And you want to know something? In my district, our children are still vulnerable to intergenerational trauma. You know, because in actual fact, I've been affected by myself. You know, I went to university. I've got a good paying job. I have not fallen into addictions. But even I have suffered from intergenerational trauma. The thing about it is we didn't recognize it. We did not recognize what, what the, from the harm from the residential schools. We did, not, we did not know because no one talked about it. But I got to tell you, it shows in the numbers. It shows in the numbers, and I talk about acronyms. Truth and reconciliation, missing and murdered uh, uh, women um, and girls. I do not say acronyms. There's a National Inuit Suicide Prevention Strategy to try and actually help the Inuit from killing themselves. Right? Because at the end of the day, are we going to get help from the provincial government? You know? And you know something? The suicide issues that we have in northern Labrador does not have to do with psychosis. Right? In the big announcement in the budget is, well, you're going to have the nurses for psychosis. But you want to know something? In actual fact, if you want to stop the suicides in northern Labrador, help address the, the social economic issues and the marginalization that my people have faced for years and decades. And in the actual fact, that is the only way we can stop intergenerational trauma. That's the only way we can get decreases in suicide so that the women in Nunatsivut are not killing themselves 31.5% more than the women on the island. Thank you, Speaker. That is uh, Layla Evans, the, um, the member for Torngat Mountains and uh, represents the district, the Labrador district of Torngat Mountains, and boy, does she represent it. Where's the heart of her people on her sleeve for sure. That is it for uh, News Talk today. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain this week, who's taking some time off. Um, we're just about uh, up to news time with Noah Shepard, the, uh, the main newscast of the day. Don't forget to check out the morning show, your VOCM mornings in the morning with uh, Ben Murphy and Jerry Lynn Mackey. I'm Brian Callahan. Have a safe and happy evening.